Welcome to the IEEE Blockchain Podcast Series, an IEEE Digital Studio production. This podcast series, entitled Research Notes in Blockchain, is hosted by Quinn Dupont, professor, IEEE member, and author of Cryptocurrencies and Blockchains by Polity Press. In this episode, Quinn speaks with Alex Norta, head of the IEEE Finland Blockchain Group, about his early theoretical research and how it relates to today's blockchains and decentralized autonomous organizations, or DAOs. All right, thanks, Alex. Thanks for, for joining us today. I'm really excited to get to speak with you today because Thank you. your research covers a lot of the same uh, topics that my own mm-hmm. research does. But what I thought was so interesting about going through your research, which has a, you know, you've been a researcher in the field for a long time, actually. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. what's interesting is you come from a very different perspective. And so maybe let's start a little bit about, um, can you tell me about how you see, well, I don't think you want to necessarily call them decentralized autonomous organizations, but maybe smart contract enable enabled organizations or something like that. Yes. Can you tell me what you see this world looking like and maybe a little bit of, a little bit of history too? Because I, I know you've been researching yes. this for quite some time and I'm sure you've seen some changes. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, um, I have to go way back then to the days when I did my PhD thesis once upon a time at TU Eindhoven in the Netherlands. <clears throat> and um, back then... Um, my PhD topic was uh, to explore uh, um, cross-organizational process-aware collaborations for um, supply chains and logistics. Uh, the industry case was a very traditional uh, truck production with their supply chains. Um, this was way before uh, any any you know modern blockchains were around or modern smart contracts uh, languages and so on but still regardless i i developed already back then as part of an eu funded uh, research project that was called crosswork was it fp7 i believe i don't remember anymore but uh, <clears throat> the project was called crosswork with a pan-european consortium and um, I explored using Patronet, um, I explored um, these cross-organizational um, process-aware collaborations. So you have uh, process views which you can match, uh, uh, and once you match them, uh, so, so they're vis- visible yeah, uh, to a counterpart, to a counterparties. And um, uh, once you match them, you have some sort of agreement. <laughs> Uh, which could consider a contractual agreement and then in-house you have the option to actually expand uh, these processes uh, with further details that remain hidden to the counterparty for different reasons maybe because um, um, that would reveal business secrets or um, it's maybe not even interesting for the counterparty and so on. And I built into that uh, different um, <clears throat> degrees of uh, process view visibility um, um, as a subset of these internal processes. Yeah, and based on this, uh, you you design uh, these these collaboration configurations. <clears throat> um, so uh, as a proof of concept, already. Back then, developed uh, my own, for lack of better wording, e-contracting language. Um, so the term mm-hmm. smart are these contract- cha- are we talking yes. chains in in smart contracts at this point, or is this before nope. all of that? 
it was way before that I started. Okay. In winter, winter two thousand one, uh, with with my research uh, in Eindhoven in the Netherlands, and I had it all done in two thousand six, and then two thousand seven, I basically defended. Uh, and so it was uh, then only in two thousand eight when modern day blockchain with the first use case of Bitcoin popped up. Um, a bit later, <clears throat> around 2011, I was aware of this white paper, and then only 2014, uh, the Ethereum uh, white paper came out yeah, by Vitaly Buterin. And I have to say, uh, for the time after my PhD defense, um, I tried to explain. So I was then a PhD in, uh, sorry, a postdoc after my PhD in, at the University of Helsinki in Finland. And I tried to explain to, you know, people around me from industry, from academia, my collaboration models and everything. But this was really still the time of very heavy central planning, central control. Tech was just used to reinforce that. And also everybody mm. went really crazy about, um, about um, uh, let's say, um, uh, you know, big data process mining and so on. So even more technology for central planning and central control reinforcement and all this peer-to-peer -peer, rather free market type of uh, technology research um, became a little bit unpopular until Ethereum came around. And uh, I have to say... Um, it was actually, so I had <clears throat> back then initially nine of my two PhD supervisors. One was Will van der Alst, and then actually an Australian, Greek-Australian, Mike Papasoglu, who was at the time at the University of Tilburg nearby. He's now back as uh, some emeritus professor at the University of Melbourne, I believe. But he, he wanted me to also explore, uh, in addition, Besides these collaboration models, um, he wanted me to explore untypical business transactionality. So this would already have hinted in the PhD proposal in 2001 <clears throat> at uh, something like blockchains. But uh, to the mm. best of my capabilities, I was not smart enough to resolve that part. So <laughs> it was already <laughs> more than enough on my plate to just think about these collaboration models and how to uh, specify them. Um, in my own language, uh, which mm -hmm. I called at the time ESML, e-sourcing markup language. And um, yeah, so um, uh, this was kind of the background history. And, and actually this work I did back then, uh, very recently, uh, my PhD student, uh, former PhD student, now Dr. Vimal Dvivedi, um, I kind of offloaded all of my work onto him and said, okay, look, back then I didn't have any blockchains around, anything now we do. So I was in the hole for like 10 years uh, until blockchains came around. So I should have <laughs> had blockchains uh, already 15 years earlier. It would have been very handy um, uh, for, for all my research work. But then I just said, okay, now you have the privilege. Now let's do it with blockchains. And he very recently defended uh, kind of a follow-up PhD thesis. So out of that, an understanding evolved uh, for DAOs. And in fact, I expressed this even in the keynote speech paper, which I printed, was it in 2015 in Delhi? Um, was very funny. I went to this um, to this um, conference in in uh, no New Delhi, sorry New Delhi in in India, 
Mm-hmm. And exactly when I arrived back then, they banned the rupee notes. And mm. um, I, I came to give a keynote speech about smart contracts and blockchains exactly when they started banning the fiat currencies. So this was a very funny coincidence. And out of that, um, actually, I attracted uh, my former PhD student who's now, well, Dr. Vima Vivedi, yes, who did the follow-up work. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the background story. And out of that evolved actually my understanding for DAOs. I want to get to DAOs, but let's just back up a little bit. You talked about mm-hmm. this movement, and it's interesting to see that your your research sort of lived through this moment of uh, swi- a switch from maybe we could say Web 2 to Web 3 or, or oh, to be a yes. little bit uh, more concrete. You know, you talked mm-hmm. about this move from centralization to decentralization, and you yes. discussed it kind of as a trend emerging – but I'm also wondering how did this affect more generally um, business process management? Um, like what are the kind of advantages for thinking about like moving outside of that centralized model? How did, mm-hmm. even before we get to kind of get to DAOs and, and all that stuff, can you just tell me a little bit more why that decentralization changes the game for you? Um, <clears throat> um, I mean, the, philosophically, what inspires me for that is very clearly um, free markets economics thinking. So as a little hobby, um, I also like to follow the Austrian School of Thought of Economics, uh, Ludwig von Mises and, and so on, you know, Karl Menger and von Barberg and, uh, and Rothbard uh, more, more recently. So um, actually, when, when I think back to my PhD days, uh, there was this paper of Wolf van der Alst about the so-called public to private, uh, oh, what was it else called? Anyhow, the, the idea is you have one process, and this process gets split up yeah, to mm-hmm. private spheres and then integrated. Yeah? So it's really a top-down type of approach. And this uh, is, of course, legitimate and, and all good, but uh, it reminded me very much of a type of uh, well, Soviet-style central planning and central control, everything top-down. And, and then <clears throat> makes the grand master plans and then it gets all dished out and then everybody else has to, you know, follow the orders and so on. So this was kind of philosophically not very appealing uh, <laughs> to me. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, we have to turn this a little bit around. Actually, this type of thinking also matched with what we observed with this Crosswork EU project, how they put together their cross-organizational processes with the, with the suppliers. And so we observed that and then thought, okay, there are actually very different ways of setting up these uh, cross-organizational processes. If, if we do that um, and introduce a bit of rigor right at the setup phase, yeah, uh, then mm-hmm. we can also cut down enormously on extra costs for administration and bureaucracy. So, for example, um, uh, we had other... Um, truck producers we studied um, and now I'm not naming names but um, who were not as firm at the time so this was a long time ago but the, the principles still hold um, they were not so firm on, on, on you know setting up proper process aware collaborations so their administrative uh, overhead was much much larger you know for troubleshooting just people calling around, sending emails and so on, because the processes would deadlock, lifelock, mm-hmm. you know, just just a mess would occur and nobody would really understand why. So uh, troubleshooters have to constantly keep things on track or 
even boot them up again when everything just collapsed. And of course, you don't just lose time uh, that way, uh, but you also have all these extra expenses. <clears throat> so I realized actually that um, in this collaboration model um, rests an enormous productivity explosion. So it really turns mm. a pyramidically organized collaboration uh, from a top-down uh, way of governing things to a flat peer-to-peer -peer way of governing things. And then you could just cut out all the slack yeah? and, and all the mm -hmm. bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean... This this is so that's really fascinating to me to see this difference in approach. So can I I want to ask you a little bit more about this uh, as you see this cross uh, organizational processes mm -hmm. and these new forms of collaboration move from deadlock and live lock and all these extra resources being used to this. I mean, sort of almost sounds like this sort of naturally this one at least this one trucking organization mm -hmm. managed to move to a a decentralized model and you saw this productivity explosion as well. Can you tell me a little bit more about what that all looked like and what is it about that organization that was sort of um, attuned to be able to make this shift, whereas some you mentioned some of the others weren't? Yes. Um, I mean, so what, what they did was uh, to come together, the original equipment manufacturer and, and the suppliers, they got together in workshops and uh, exposed views of the processes. Yeah, And um, as a result, um, you know, iron out up front during the setup phase, uh, the potential pitfalls, as I said, like, uh, for example, deadlocks. And uh, as such, during enactment, I mean, during the actual production phase, the production time was actually much faster. The end result, the mm. quality was much better. And so you could much faster ship uh, the end products to market. And particularly in truck production, okay, they had uh, kind of fleet models, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, for every customer, uh, there were certain... Uh, adjustments to be made um, so it was not like a standard product like uh, you know you have uh, four um, cars let's say uh, the car companies to bring out standard products in the city but but let's say uh, you produce four um, trash collection some uh, lorries and then per country at least in europe they have to be you know every country has special um regulations so you can't uh, really produce the same lorries uh, um, for all countries doesn't work this way yeah. but but uh, because of this um, process aware alignment up front uh, in coordination with the suppliers um, the end result was really superior to the competition which took much longer was much more expensive and um, just to give you an indication back then they could uh, MIN could ship out a truck in 17 working days while mm. other competition took like eight weeks so there's a big wow. difference. so you really there's a there's a, a genuine performance um uh improvement yes. here that's really impressive so let's just if we can let's let's let's, mm -hmm. let's move forward a little um mm -hmm. this organization sort of naturally managed to align their kind of cross organizational processes so, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and, and become a little more decentralized and realize some of these yes. advantages. So let's talk a little bit, like let's switch to 
organizations that call themselves DAOs, they call themselves decentralized yes. autonomous organizations. They run on on uh, blockchains. They use smart contracts. Now, my understanding is they don't form at all like this. They almost sort of uh, come about in a very different sort of way. Are there connection points you see here between this, uh, you know, these uh, this process you observed before with these newer kinds of models? Where are the differences? Mm-hmm. Tell me what you think about what is a decentralized autonomous organization according to uh, to you anyways? Yes, I mean, not even according to me, but just what I observe. So DAOs are, um, a use case for DAOs is, say, if you have a conflict uh, situation uh, where you try to govern several entities yeah, and they enter in a conflict and then you need to have some sort of voting procedure, uh, you know, you have some policies in place, uh, that lead you to a voting procedure and then these votes are evaluated and then out of that um, you you resolve um, the conflict that you have and very quickly move ahead. So, I mean, historically, if my understanding is correct, um, this came out of um, the block size uh, battles that once were occurring mm-hmm. with Bitcoin, yeah. And then we had uh, Dash, uh, if you know what Dash is, is a mm-hmm. digital cash um, that uh, once upon a time came out as a privacy coin. It's not really a privacy coin. I won't go into details why. But um, they have um, a governance uh, mechanism in place uh, for supporting voting, uh, which Bitcoin... Uh, doesn't have so in bitcoin for the block size enlargement people were just bickering about should we enlarge or not and um, the outcome as we know was to not enlarge Uh, but instead dash you know they just put up a vote and uh, they have these master nodes and i mean the important players they engaged in the voting and then in in super record short time um, they had a very civilized um, well process to decide that they're going to enlarge the block size uh, and and it was done yeah and uh, so maybe you you still remember all the drama that's going on and the nasty politics and so on mm-hmm. the debate was, was really one of these moments wasn't it yes and out of that is that's my understanding evolved this notion of of a DAO and um this is, to my understanding, really a very important use case um, to uh, tackle such conflict uh, situations and um, and uh, and support uh, voting procedures. Yeah? And and that mm-hmm. actually also matched uh, with my other research um, that that I I conducted uh, when I was a postdoc at the University of Helsinki. Uh, where I then thought about um, how to set up, roll out, and act, roll back, and terminate uh, these cross-organizational processes where collaborations. I came well, while I did this research. Um, so I also published this about, um, about this work in in a couple of papers. I came across, uh, but but back then I used. Um, state transition modeling techniques. I used color picture nets. Mm. I came across these uh, <clears throat> situations in, in, in my models yeah, that required voting procedures. So you came into some sort of conflict, uh, say, 
somebody would violate a business rule. And based on this business rule, this violation, this one, this was then escalated to an e-community. And the e-community then got together into a voting procedure to decide, uh, you know, would they cancel the entire collaboration or was it possible to reconcile it uh, uh, and by which measure? Yeah, or, or was it um, was it a trivial violation uh, that could just be ignored? Yeah. So I came mm-hmm. across these situations, and this was before, way before uh, any of the modern day DAO solutions came around. I mean, I know that DAO was already mentioned first in the white paper of of Vitalik Buterin about Ethereum. <clears throat> But it was not further fleshed out. Yeah? Uh, so, so this very dedicated DAO solutions, which we have nowadays, uh, didn't exist. But um, certainly, out of my theoretical work, uh, you know, using color patronet notations, uh, I won't go into details now what that means. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I came, I came across um, these situations um, where indeed. Um, these basic principles for which nowadays DAOs are used, where, where this basically popped up. I also had another paper about um, conflict resolution, I mean, specifically conflict resolution in cross-organizational choreographies. And also there, um, what emerged was over uh, cross-organizational collaboration that you had uh, um, entities yeah, that would indeed... Uh, based on policies, uh, negotiate resolutions of conflicts. Yeah? So, but this was all just model-based, theoretical. Yeah? Mm-hmm. But uh, on several, several, um, in several situations, actually, this need for what is nowadays called a DAO actually arose. So um, I'm very happy uh, to see, actually, because... Back then, you have to understand, uh, when I did all this research, I mean, it was really way before uh, we, we had any of these uh, modern technologies around. So it was all a bit um, um, odd and freakish versus, you know, what my colleagues kept themselves busy with. But it's, in a way, very satisfying to see that uh, time has proven that... Um, this more theoretical uh, type of research actually is now all being followed up by, by well, real solutions, uh, and yeah. also I mean that also involves um, this um, very dynamically growing market of 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 DAOs. So this is very nice. Yeah. So you mm-hmm. you talked about this, um, you know, these governance challenges as kind of this motivating moment in that made you realize and i think everyone realized that we need to come up with some um uh well two two things one governance so as to you know create uh, have change management and, and and these kinds of things issues like let's just the the scaling debates and these sorts of things but then also there's these really persistent conflict resolution types of issues and and you mentioned you talked a little bit about what that looks like for you and how you model these with colored mm-hmm. petri dish uh uh colored petri nets. Petri. Yes, yes. And, yes. um, so a lot of what the criticism of, of the kind of conflict resolution that happens on DAOs emerges out of the processes of governance. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the main, I mean, we've got on-chain and off-chain types of governance. And, but I think we're, mm-hmm. we're really kind of talking mostly about here is of course on-chain and that means voting typically coin voting. 
Yes. Um, does is this part of your? Uh, is this implicit in your theoretical models? Um, it is. Or is this actually yes. something that can be generalized? Um, I mean, it popped up in my theoretical models, and as I said, it's it's been very fascinating to then see. Yeah, but I have to say, back then when I did all this collaboration research um, in a in a model based way, for, formal model based way, um, it was a bit comparable to being, you know, like you have a computer game where you're an avatar and you're surrounded by fog, and you're trying to clear the fog to see the terrain better and better. So I was myself just puzzled uh, about uh, these models which emerged and, and what they would mean. But um, as, as, as we now move more and more into the blockchain, what I observed in my models is actually now occurring. Uh, so in that sense, um, hmm. I can only reiterate this is, this is a very satisfying um, uh, realization for me. <clears throat> At the same time, I have to say that um, <clears throat> maybe a bit like uh, the experience I had when Ethereum came out. So I told you um, I did my PhD thesis, defended uh, beginning 2007, and then I was kind of in the black hole because, um, uh, well, my research was, was obscure and weird until mm -hmm. this white paper came out of uh, Vitaly Buterin, and I almost fell off my chair at the time. And then um, I, I very quickly uh, realized, okay, so Vitaly, uh, he writes there, okay, now we can do smart contracts and all the problems are solved. Yeah? And then I, yeah. I, mm -hmm. I just thought, uh, okay, dude, uh, <laughs> not at all. You're coming in a kind of a bottom-up way, you know. I mean, very, very smart, really fascinating mm -hmm. technology. But it's bottom-up, and I came top-down. So I came from, from a theoretical point of view, uh, from my research side, my PhD. And I realized, uh, no, the problems are not solved at all. Uh, they're only starting now. So mm -hmm. I, I understood that I could just brush off all my dust-covered work at the time because <laughs> I, I was just ignored for so many years, yeah, and and just get back, uh, you know, busy republishing everything, but now having blockchains available as a, as a concept. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> I think it's the same story now that we have with DAOs, yeah. So DAOs emerged also out of a bottom-up uh, kind of um, process, which is quite normal. I mean, you know, industry-driven. But uh, at the same time, um, I think it is important to maybe go back to the theory and study, you know, uh, maybe the theoretical models and uh, see how this can inflect um, DAOs to bring them to the next level. And uh, so what I mean there, just, just looking at my own research, yes, it was all theoretical work I did. Uh, I'm trying to apply it ever more um, in a, in a uh, practical, up-to-date sense, now having blockchains available with uh, PhD students. And uh, just um, have, uh, I, I was just very recently an opponent for a PhD student uh, from France, from Paris, uh, where I would like to do some work uh, in DAOs and uh, was also approached by a PhD student from Italy 
who wants to work on DAOs, but of course, uh, this is now a totally new generation that has mm. the hands-on blockchain experience. And I hope uh, with that, that um, we can solve some of the problems um, and gaps that exist, you know, from the bottom-up industry tourism. My final question mm-hmm. then is, is just to kind of to, to elaborate on this um, very same point. You, you know, so these PhD students are coming and um, finding mm-hmm. your research, finding you, and they but they're interested. Mm-hmm. They're sort of this new generation. They're interested. In, they've got blockchains. Yes. They're interested in DAOs. Yes. Where does your where do your roots business process management uh, cross organizational collaboration design science yes. research? Where do these roots? now go like what's next up for these uh not not their projects specifically yes. but what where do you where do you see these students all going next um i think uh, so again i have to become a little bit philosophical because i see that um we are heading for a crash yeah i mean we still have this world of central perpetual planning. crash in crypto that too yeah <laughs> i mean there's been a, a a lot of weird stuff going on in cryptos that luckily is being cleaned out now very happy for that, uh, that, you know, we, we hopefully then can continue on a much cleaner foundation. But <clears throat> um, so we still have these old industry structures that are very much top down, yeah? like the vertically integrated mm-hmm. pyramids uh, organized that way. And this is completely, completely, I mean, dinosaur, dinosaur way of doing business. And most of these large companies have turned into zombie companies in a way that just survive because um, they're being given money from for free from central banks and so on. And uh, we, we're really heading for this new, new um, industry. So, I mean, there are people... Uh, not not particularly their fans, but you know there's this World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab. They talk about the Great Reset. Um, so my my notion of reset is not really matching <laughs> philosophically with their notion of a reset. But I have to say that indeed I, we we are indeed heading for a big crash and a reorganization of um, of industry. And I think this reorganization mm. will move away from this top down. Uh, pyramids um, to one which is more peer-to-peer and decentralized yeah? and also much more agile so so you have like uh, spontaneously forming clusters into conglomerates mm-hmm. that then dissolve again when the business case um, disappears uh, to regroup again into new formations and so on and in that picture you definitely need um, um, blockchains as trust engines yeah um, mm-hmm. And definitely DAOs, yeah? you definitely need that. Um, um, so this is this is very much um, emerging, and uh, along that, of course, the collaborations have to be process aware, so that you know you you can be cost and time effective, and also uh, have good quality. Uh, so this is I, I don't know exactly when we will be crashing, but maybe we are already crashing. Some some claim. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. But I think the next step, what what will emerge on the other end, is really a world of you know DAOs and blockchains uh, for for much leaner and more efficient and effective means of collaboration. Yeah, thank th- thank you, Alex, for that description. I think that um, is that really accords with my own understanding here of um, 
you know, organizations that are self-governing, self-organizing, and um, Absolutely. have these new opportunities for collaboration. I, I think that's a compelling vision. So I'll, I'll, I'll just like to thank you for your time. And um, it, was, it was really lovely to get a chance to speak with you. Yes, thanks a lot. And my apologies again for the background noise. Yeah, so I think we're heading for very exciting times. A lot of change and um, it's just been a, a pleasure really to I mean already to see how theoretical work actually turns into reality actually uh, coming from people who are not even aware of my work so so this is very nice and based on that to see how you know a new generation of researchers and PhD students and so on discover my work that's uh, already some whatever 10 years old or so and come back to me uh, to to pick up on that. So this this is a very very fascinating uh, observation. Thank you for listening to our interview with Alex Norta. To learn more about the IEEE Blockchain Initiative, please visit our web portal at blockchain.ieee.org.